Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is uh, April 11th, 2016. Actually, it's May 11th, 2016. And uh, we have episode 1784 of the Survival Podcast for you today. And given that it's a Wednesday, it is time for an interview. Today I have Joe Russo, really cool guy. He and his wife, Kate, um, last year decided enough of the corporate grind, sold everything they had, got a new RV, and decided to live life on the road. They've been doing that since, I think, about mid-2015. And uh, they're blogging and, and v-blogging all of their activities, where they're going, how they're getting there, how they're trying to earn an income while they're on the road. You know, right now they're living off their savings, but they're beginning to build up some income just from the activities and, and publishing the activities that they're doing. I mean, have you ever thought, I mean, seriously, who hasn't? Like, if you've ever been to like an RV show or something, you look at some of them, you think, you know, if I had something like this, I could just stay the hell with it. I could stay the hell with it. I could spend the rest of my life on the road. I don't know if that life is for me, but the people that do it really seem to love it. And there is something very attractive about it. And if you've ever thought about doing it, today you're going to hear what it's really like. And maybe that'll help you decide if it's for you or not. Because there are also interims, right? There is the, the, the concept of having a base of operations and then using your RV intermittently as well, especially for those that can work remote and do things like that. I've often thought, like, to me, one of the best ways to do this would be have two or three pieces of land with hookups different parts of the country and kind of go to one of those and dock, you know, and then live in that part of the country for, you know, three to four months and then go to a different place, et cetera, and be able to experience life in those different biomes at different times. For me, it would be hard. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I love my livestock. I love my animals. You can travel with dogs and cats, but it's, it's, it's a challenge and they do have a dog with them. And we'll probably talk about that too. Um, but I love, you know, growing stuff. And I love having my farm, and I love being near my family. So it would be a somewhat difficult thing, but honestly, Dorothy and I have actually talked about it at different points in our life. One of the things we thought about was just keeping a house and then having a remote piece of land somewhere in a, a different climate. Like when the, when the summer just sucks, just leave for three months, like reverse snowbirding or something like that. Or maybe, maybe you know, like right now when you have like tornadoes all the time in the south, just like... Leave the tornado zone during tornado season, that type of thing. Um, but I think it's going to be a really fun interview. Uh, there are a couple 30-somethings who, uh, who, who did this, I guess, against the advice of everybody. You know, we, you talk about it, everything's, oh, it'd be really cool. And then when you say you're going to do it, everybody's like, I don't know, it sounds kind of risky to me. Uh, so, uh, they, they have, you know, experienced some of that, but they went out and they're making a go of it. And it's a pretty cool story. Um, they have a website called we'retherussos.com. We'll talk about all that more in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and take a look at the year that was the episode to get some historical context in today. The year 1784, because the episode 1784, I have two from Alex Shrugged at TSP Wiki. I have the Diamond Necklace Affair, or How to Destroy a French Queen. And I have Steam Powered Locomotion and the, quote, Puffing Devil, unquote, Some other important events in 1784, Benjamin Franklin invents bifocal glasses. The puddling process for making wrought iron is patented. 
And Thomas Jefferson is introduced to the Argand oil lamp. This lamp will become the standard for home lighting until it is replaced by the kerosene lamp in the 1850s. Let's take a look at steam-powered locomotion in the Puffing Devil. It is a steam carriage or road locomotive. No rails involved. Don't be silly. Rail cars are pulled by horses. William Murdoch is the man who helped James Watt improve the Bolton and Watt steam engine. He rearranged the gears and increased the efficiency. Murdoch's basic steam engine design is still used in the modern day for some applications, but he's best known for his experiments with the first locomotive for gas and for gas lighting. His first locomotive is just a model, about two feet tall, but the oscillating steam cylinder that goes chug-a-chug with the arm attached to a wheel is his invention. When you see it, you know that is part of a locomotive. My take by Alex Shrug. There's a story that Murdoch once lost control of one of his model steam locomotives. As he chased a little ball of fire, smoke, and noise down the road, he came upon a pastor in deep distress. Apparently, the pastor thought the little machine was the devil. Not quite, but we're talking about a self-propelled horseless carriage. In the 1780s, it might as well have been a Martian's landing. An actual steam locomotive on rails didn't appear until 1804 on a bet. The puffing devil locomotive hauled 10 tons of iron on a nine-mile journey. It took a lot longer than they thought it would, but it qualifies as the worst, world's first steam engine railway journey. The puffing devil suffered from a number of design flaws, but the design wasn't to blame for what happened a few days later. When the operators took a lunch break at the local pub and they left the fire going in the boiler, the water boiled off, so they returned the engine had burned up. This was not a design flaw, but operator error. You know, my thoughts on this is this is the this is the dawning of the true settling of the North American continent. Because it was the railroad that truly opened up the West. People went West first and covered wagons and things like that. But when these rails opened up, it changed everything. It made getting supplies from one end of the country to the other possible. It'll be a long time between here and we'll hear about, I'm sure, the Golden Spike. Many of you know what that is. But this is the beginning. This is the beginning, and eventually we'll hear about railroad monopolies and how we have to do something about the railroad monopolies. But whatever actually ends up really destroying the monopolies is what? The, adv the advent of modern roads and individual transportation in the form of motor vehicles. The best way to end monopolies is to incentivize and you know, push for innovation. It's innovation that generally drives monopolies out of business, and it's government that usually empowers them. The more things change, the more they stay the same. With that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. You know, I use a Berkey water filter in my home, and I have for over six years now. It's important to me to have the best quality water, but it's also important for me to get great service, pricing, and support, which is why I only deal with one source. That's Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, one of the top dealers of Berkey in the world with customer service that will blow you away. Learn more at Directive21.com. Again, Directive, and then the number is 21.com. One more thing before we get into it uh, today, I want to let you guys know I am running a meetup, just a, just a hangout meetup for a few hours, from 5 to 9 p.m., Friday evening at Nine Mile Farm, 
We're just going to be hanging out in the backyard with the geese and the ducks and the dogs and the cats and some TSP folks uh, and uh, eating some sausage and bratwurst and drinking some beer and maybe some cider. I'm going to keg up some cider today, and hopefully it'll be carbonated well enough uh, by Friday evening that you'll want to drink it. It'll taste just fine. I just know how carbonated it'll be. I'm going to jack it up to like 60 PSI for a couple of days and see if that gets it done. I've got 10 gallons to keg up when I get done with today's show. Anyway, the reason I'm doing this is Karim, who is part of the Walking to Freedom movement, uh, moved to Austin uh, last year from Chicagoland, as he calls it. And uh, he's going to be up here for the uh, Self-Reliance Expo. I think it's over in Irving. I'm not going myself this year. Um, but it's going to be there, and there's going to be other folks there. And they wanted to do some kind of a meetup, so I, and they wanted me to come. And I'm like, I don't want to go to Irving. Why don't you guys come to me? So I'm going to host this little meetup. But it's not just for people doing that. It's for anybody in the TSP audience that's kind of in the D Dallas-Fort Worth area. Come on by, hang out for a few hours, meet some other people. I've already heard some from some cool people will be coming. There'll be a link in the show notes today to learn about that. Basically, all you're going to do is send me an email, tell me you're in, tell me how many people are coming so I can get a head count. Those that have already emailed me, there's plenty of space for this. This isn't a big deal, so don't worry about being left out. I'm going to try to wait till like Thursday afternoon to email everybody at once that's registered so far instructions on how to get here. But honestly, if you go to 9mile.farm and, 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 and click on our contact page, you find the farm easy enough, even with Google Maps. Uh, we're not hiding. This is not the bunker, okay? Um, so I'd love to see some of you come by for that. And uh, I'm going to try to do a few more of these with a little bit more notice in the future. Just kind of hangout days. I'll probably be more likely to target Saturdays in the future, but Friday just worked for this one. So cap your Friday off with cool people. And I bet you will even do a little bit of talking about the Granddaddy's Gun Club. And if you want to know more about that, go to granddaddysgun.com. And with that, let's get right into it. I want to say, hey, Joe and Kate, guys, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Excited to be here. Glad to have you guys with us. Uh, just so the audience can kind of connect with you and you decide who goes first, uh, tell us what you did professionally uh, before you got into all this and kind of how, you know, going back before you started your careers, how, how you decided to do that, just as a kind of connection with the audience. Sure. Uh, so this is Joe. I'll start. Um You know, I spent about 10 years at my last profession. I was working for DirecTV. I was in advertising in that and had a myriad of other sort of smaller careers before that. But, you know, 10 years in corporate America and I was ready to get out. And this is Kate. Uh, I worked in marketing. But before that, I actually um, worked in the legal profession. I actually thought I wanted to go to law school, um, tried that out, decided it wasn't for me. And right after I got out of law school, I got a job um, doing affiliate marketing. And ever since that job, I've been really interested in marketing in the entire field. So that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. Yeah, and I have to also say, you know, when I was a kid, I never dreamed that I would be on the road doing something like this. But I remember I used to watch like a lot of 80s movies and that where people would be sitting at their cubes in an office And I remember making a promise to myself that I would never be that person. Well, I kind of gave up that promise or broke that promise. And, you know, now we have a chance to kind of rectify that situation. Yeah, I definitely understand that. So can we kind of go back to when you decided you were going to uh, spend your life living on the road in an RV? You guys were living in California. You were in corporate America. I mean, how did you decide, like, quit your jobs, live on the road? I mean, what, what led up to that? What was life like, you know, before you made that decision? Yeah, well, you know, we were doing the, the standard nine to five. Um, 
where we lived in Los Angeles, for both of us, it was about a three-hour commute every day. And it was really kind of taxing our lives. And we both took a look at our situation and realized that we could make a change in our life and decided that, you know, first we were looking at moving to other states and doing other things like that. But eventually we found out or figured out that we love to travel. And the thing we really wanted to do was work for ourselves. Um, so we start putting into motion a plan that would allow us to do that. Yeah. And I think for, you know, for us, when we were living in Los Angeles, um, we were sort of living this, at least my, this American dream that I was sold. So I, I grew up in Beijing, China, and my mom came here to make a better life for myself. So when I moved here, you know, I was sold this dream of like, go to school, get a get good grades, have a great career, buy a house, settle down, you know, make a lot of money, buy all this stuff. Um, and I was sort of living someone else's dream. And it just, it, I slowly started to realize that, you know, I was letting other people tell me how to think, what to do, and how to live my life. And I really kind of took my mind out of this giant cloud of, you know, what everyone else wanted me to do and realized that I wanted to live a different life, that my life wasn't fulfilling and I wanted to be happy. Um, so we started looking at other options. Yeah. And it's interesting because we're both gun owners. Uh, we have our carry permits and California was becoming a really unfriendly state to people like us. Um, plus we had backyard chickens and vegetables. And it's interesting because I think the backyard chickens are kind of what spurred this idea in our head because once we started producing food for ourselves and we were becoming more and more self-reliant we realized we didn't want to be slaves to our corporate jobs anymore and we really wanted to get out of that and figure out how we can do things on our own and really be um, our own selves uh, and it's funny too because the three hours I spent commuting or spent commuting every day I was listening to your show <laughs> uh, and I think you know that spurred a lot of this on and I remember the day I went to go put in, or the day I put in my notice, uh, we were actually waiting for the sale of the house to go through. So I remember listening to one of your shows, and it was on personal freedom or something along that line. And I paused the show. I called Kate, who was also in the car, and said, you know what? I'm putting my notice in today. I was listening to Jack's show, and he just got me all fired up, so I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's been times where I've said... Don't use what I said today as an excuse to quit your job if the timing's not right. So I and take no responsibility for that. But the thing was, I think the timing was perfect. Okay. It was, we got into one of those situations where, you know, it comes down to that last yard and you really have to act. Um, and we kept kind of postponing, postponing. I said, you know what? We're doing this. And I'm going in today. Jack said, don't quit your job, but I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> That's that's really awesome. So you get to the point where both of you guys are ready to do this. And so two different things here. One, like how did everybody react to that? And then just kind of backpedaling a bit. You know, you mentioned the chickens. And I kind of find, find it ironic because the chickens lead you out of that life into the RV, but you're probably not RVing around with chickens. So, you know, you had to make a lot of sacrifices to do what you really wanted to do then, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the chickens, we missed the chickens. Um, we did slaughter them at the end and had some fantastic stews and that. Um, but, you know, it's one of the sacrifices we had to make. And it's not that we, you know, don't necessarily plan to settle down again. 
Uh, but I think that's one of, you know, kind of jumping forward. One of the challenges that we find on the road, which is uh, finding really good eggs and everything else, because, you know, what you buy at the store is nothing like what you can produce at home. Yeah, and, definitely. I mean, I'm ruined. I, I'm absolutely ruined. I, I go to a restaurant and get eggs for breakfast, and I'm just sad. I'm like, that's not an egg. <laughs> exactly. We've actually talked about, uh, so we have friends along the way. We just left a friend's ha- our farm who raises their own pork. Um, and they do chickens and that. And we were talking, I wonder if we could bring our own eggs into the restaurant and have them cook them. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably lots of regulations against that, but I, I certainly understand that. Yeah. So did um, everybody go mental when you told them you were going to do this or? Uh, yes and no. So, I mean, the first kind of bucket of people we talked to about it were our, our families and our families were, at least my family was very supportive. Uh, my dad passed away a few years ago, and I got fortunate enough that we could see it coming. And that last week or so, I really got to spend a lot of time with him at the hospital and talking with him. And one of the things he told me was, uh, take, you know, he's like, this is the last thing I have to tell you. Take lots of risks and have a lot of children. Um, we haven't had a lot of children yet, but we decided that we needed to take some calculated risks in our lives. And when we came up with this plan, uh, Kate's actually the one who came up with it. And when she told me that, I was like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. We can't quit our job, sell our house and live on the road. And then I thought back to what my dad said. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. But we have to be smart about it. Um, and then, you know, as far as your family. Yeah, my family, as I mentioned, I'm originally from China. So I, my mom especially was horrified that I was going to quit this great job. Um, you know, I was on a really good path at the job that I, at the company I was working for. Um, and, you know, she just couldn't understand or grasp the concept of leaving a well-paying job to sort of go into the unknown. Uh, but she's definitely come around. You know, we're starting to make a good amount of money now that we've been on the road for a little over eight months. Um, and so she's, she's now grasping the concept, but I would say, you know, outside of my mom, my dad was really supportive and friends especially were really supportive. Although I think most of them for, for up until the very end thought we were just joking around and had this dream. They didn't actually think we were going to buy the RV and get on the road. And we finally bought the RV. I think they were mostly shocked. They couldn't yeah, believe they were. it. And, you know, when we went in and told our uh, respective employers that we were putting in our notices, there really wasn't much they could say to dissuade us. I mean, it was one of those, uh, well, we'd offer you more money in a better position, but it sounds like you're leaving and there isn't much we can do. So good luck and we're <laughs> going to be here for you. Yeah. And almost everyone at my work said, I wish I could do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go get it. Yeah, people were very jealous. And I, I remember a few people pulling me aside saying that, you know, they would be leaving in a few months and they were making plans and, you know, good for us for doing this. You know, I think it's interesting how that goes with people. A lot of times when you tell people you're going to do something, they either have that knee-jerk reaction like Kate's mom, oh, God, don't do that, you're going to ruin your life, or they kind of tacitly approve of it, but it's just because they don't believe you're going to do it, that it's just talk. Because so many people talk about stuff like this. But even the people that are naysayers, generally once you say – and we've done it, then they're supportive because I think part of it is that people have this innate desire for people they care about anyway to be somewhat protective of them. 
and they're afraid something's going to, you know, not work out. And I think part of what holds people back is, well, something could not work out right where you are right now. It's not like you have a guarantee anywhere in life, so you might as well pursue something that you really want to pursue. Exactly. And one of the things, so we have a YouTube channel as well, and we kind of, uh, we have some videos along this topic, and one of the, one comment we got was, well, you left your job security and et cetera, et cetera. And my response to that was, none of us really have any job security. I mean, we could be let go at any moment. And I think that's the whole part that you talk about, about preparing your life for the um, inevitable or what might happen. And, you know, we had no job security. We were at the jobs for a long time and we had a pension and stuff like that. But we could have been let go at any moment. So we decided to really, like, take our own lives by the horn. Gotcha. So what's life like now? I mean, what, what what is your daily life like? And, you know, with leaving your jobs, how do you support yourselves at this point? Yeah, I would say the first thing was a total sense of freedom. Now that we were, you know, living our lives the way we wanted to. Um, I mentioned it before, but it, it was really being able to cut the bonds between our employers and ourselves and not being slaves anymore. Uh, you know, we got rid of a lot of the unnecessary things in life so we weren't necessarily a slave to our paycheck um and you know at least for me there was a lot less stress and back when i started working in corporate america uh, i was getting chronic migraines and the doctors had put me on a couple different um permanent medications that i could potentially be on for the rest of my life well when i quit work those migraines started to go away on their own so i stopped taking the medication uh, not all at once. I kind of weaned myself off. But, you know, I realized that stress was really causing all of these problems. And we were in the we were going to the doctors all the time for different things. And since we've been on the road going on eight months now, I'm sick. Um, so daily life has become much nicer. I mean, you know, we wake up, we work for ourselves and the website and our YouTube channel right now are primary sources of income. So on our website, we're doing Google AdSense, we're Amazon affiliates, and then on the YouTube side, we're making money via ads and things like that. Um, you know, there are times when we might get a product or that to test out and give our opinions of it, or, you know, someone might comp our stay at a uh, RV park uh, so we can go and write about the RV park, and that kind of helps mitigate our monthly expenses. Yeah, definitely. Now, how, how's that working out? I mean, I looked at one of your reports and you're, you know, there's kind of a pretty good delta there right now. Have you kind of just really started getting into that monetization of that content? Yeah, I would say we relaunched everything back starting in January. And if you or kind of December time-ish, but if you look at our uh, income in December, we were making, we made $50 for the month and we were actually really excited to do that. Sure. Uh, but this past month we made 518 so we're growing at a nice pace, and our goal is that by the end of the year, we are making or we're able to support ourselves. And on average, we're spending about $2,700, $2,800 a month all in for all of our expenses. Um, yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I think people like that are trying to earn a living online, regardless of whether they're running around an RV or anything, need to actually do exactly what you did when you make that first income. You should be excited uh, because people think, you know, like, well, you know, I've been earning a full-time income online for a long time now. But I remember my first actual income from a web-based activity, it took like three or four months. And the first check I ever got was $63. Uh, 
And, mm -hmm. and at the time, I was making a good six-figure salary. And I'm running up to my wife, and I'm jumping up and down, and I'm excited because I made $63 online. Yeah, her, so you've gotten bigger rebates buying sporting goods. What and it didn't make sense yet. It was like, no, but I, I did this. This is independent of anything else. I created this, and it's that early excitement that leads you. So, I mean, if you're progressing at that level, it, it's completely reasonable that you could be making a couple to three thousand dollars a month by the end of the, the full year this year, and then you really do have independence and freedom. Absolutely. And that's that's our plan. So what we've really noticed is, you know, I think in December, January, we really made that mental switch that we need to keep doing this lifestyle or something similar to it, because going back to work for someone else really isn't an option. And the harder we've started working at YouTube or a website, the more money we're making. And it's just and it's so satisfying, as you mentioned, that when we get that check every month, Uh, we realize that that's a direct correlation to the amount of work we're putting to, into everything, and it's growing, and people are responding to it. We have a lot, we get a lot of great comments on our videos, and it's really uplifting. I, I tell Kate every morning I wake up and I check our comments so I can respond to everyone. I get really excited about it. Absolutely, I mean, and that's another thing: the excitement and being engaged with your followers is huge in, in a monetization plan like you guys have had. So what are some of the positive changes, uh, things that you've had, you know, since you started? I know it, it probably just feels good, but there's probably a lot more to it than that. And what are some of the, you know, challenges? We kind of talked about having to give up chickens and good quality food. Yeah, so I think, you know, Joe mentioned one of the great benefits is we're, I wouldn't say we're stress-free, but we're very low stress compared to what life was before. Um, but really, now that we are living this life, um, We're really approaching things from a different point of view in terms of, you know, how, how we value, like, what we need to survive in our life and, you know, what are items that, that are just unnecessary. Um, and really, you know, we meet up with a lot of people as we travel who are still in sort of the old life that we were living. And we see a very significant difference between how we approach life and think about life as opposed to how they are looking at life, you know, and we really sort of minimized our life and traded all the, all, most of the material possessions that we have to really have a fulfilling life um, and enjoying different experiences. And yeah. that's really sort of how we approach each day. Is and I would say one of the biggest changes and our, you know, positive changes, but challenge that we've had has been our relationship. So when we were working, one of the things that we really wanted to change was the fact that We actually spent more time with the people at work than we did with each other because we'd get home at night, uh, make dinner, watch a little bit of TV, and we just need to zone out from that day and not even be able to spend quality time with each other. And honestly, I mean, we got the weekends. Um, but for us, when we got on the road, moving from a 1,300-square-foot house to a 250-square-foot RV and being around each other 24-7 was a huge challenge. And there was a point at which we... Uh, Kate was driving the RV and she pulled off the road, stopped at a rest area and was like, we need to get on the same page about what we're doing and how we're living. Um, so that that was a big one for us. But the other real positive thing is this has turned into kind of like a, a roaming reunion with friends and family. We get to stop in, say hello um, and really relax rather than going on vacation and trying to you know go to Disneyland all the time with friends or that. Um, but I would say the other challenge we had was we lost uh, our 
dog Duke at the beginning of this trip. I think it was about 10 days in and having to deal with some, something like that when you're not at home or, you know, in your home area and not having friends and family around was really tough for us. Um, so we've had a lot of things change about our lives, but it's just every day it seems to be um, better and better for us. And to be clear, our relationship is stronger now. I don't know if Joe mentioned that. After I pulled off the side of the road and we hashed it out, <laughs> we're actually, our relationship is stronger than ever. And, you know, we're with each other 24-7. Um, so we had to work out a few things, but now we're good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's an adjustment. I don't care how you do it. When you go from a, a point where two spouses both have jobs and careers and things that are completely separate from each other, and it's 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 just you two together every day. I think as long as you handle it right, that's where you end up. That's where Dorothy and I ended up was much closer. But there's an adjustment period because you no longer have that space, you know, away from each other to have kind of that that me space. And I, I remember uh, my good friend Brian Black with ITS kind of followed the same path I did with going into online, you know, a online business and his wife joining him in it. And they were right about almost exactly a year behind us. And they have an office they drive to every day, which is, you know, a 15 minute drive. And, uh, he wanted to start having them drive to work together. And she was telling him, no, we need and it. So I talked to him and I said, you know how you get to work before everybody else and you have all that time where nobody bothers you just to do things on your own. Right. He goes, yeah. I said, all that's gone. And he got this hard face, <laughs> right? And then it was like, yeah, we'll keep taking Because he was like, yeah, we can save some money or whatever. But So I think that when you are going to spend all that time together, and you guys even more so because, you know, it, it, it's a big RV, but it's still an RV. Finding mm -hmm. ways for you to have your own space when you're together all the time is a big adjustment. Yeah, and it's funny. You mentioned Brian Black. Um, we've actually talked about driving separately. So we tow a Jeep Wrangler with us Yeah, and we've talked cause right now we try to limit our driving to like an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, and we do that maybe once a week, but we were talking about she, she or I drive the RV. The other one drives the Jeep just so we have our own time. And, you know, I can get back to listening to more podcasts <laughs> and things and she can listen to her like music that I don't like. And <laughs> And it's understandable, but I, I will tell you that there are these things called earphones, and they do work. <laughs> oh, trust me. I have, I have the huge pair of earphones that go over my ears and yeah. block everything out. <laughs> it's got to be careful, though, when you're the driver, if you're moving and stuff like that with the sensory <laughs> deprivation, right? But um, So let's kind of talk about how you actually planned this out, because I'm sure – that when you both came to the idea, like, let's just do this, you didn't just say, screw it, let's put the house up for sale, quit our jobs, pick out an RV and go. There was probably some methodology and some, you know, accounting, uh, figuring out the economics of it, figuring out how, how much staying power you had while you developed an income. Kind of talk us through that. Yeah, and we like to tell people about this because whenever we meet up with people on the road and we tell them what we do, their response is always, I wish I could do that. And we always try to tell people, people you can. It's just about the planning and having financial freedom and everything else that allows you to kind of do that. And when we started looking at this, uh, the first thing for us was gaining financial freedom. So for us, that meant paying off all of our debt with exception of our home and really starting to budget and put money aside for what we were planning on doing. Uh, we, we were both fairly well set on the corporate side as far as our retirements are concerned, but you know, it was looking forward and figuring out 
um, what are our expenses going to be on the road and starting to plan there. And once we kind of figured out what our proposed expenses would be saying, you know, how long do we want to do this? How much money do we need to put aside for it? And really starting to build that bank account, um, start cutting back in places where like eating out at restaurants and things of that nature. Um, and you know, it was, I think the planning, the big part of the planning phase was first of all, finding that RV because, you know, we could have a thousand dollar payment. We could have a $600 payment and then creating that budget, uh, and working off of a uh, timeline. So I think it took us about five years from, kind of ideation to when we finally launched in the RV. And when we started, we actually didn't even plan to do this in an RV. We were planning on moving down to Texas and we're actually Texans now. So we're very proud of that. And how, what that timeline was for how much we needed to save. And then finally it was really about setting goals. So for us, I think that's a very important process or important part of the process where you have goals and you have to start meeting those goals. So you're going to save this by this point or pay off a credit card or your school loans, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and I think research was a really big part of it. Um, there's so many different ways to RV, you know, and you can have a tow behind, you can have a class A gas coach like we have, um, and also figuring how we wanted to travel. Um, we tend to be more on the budget traveling side, so we dry camp a lot. Um, we knew going into this that we wanted to, you know, camp on BLM land where we can stay for up to 14 days, sometimes 30 days, and that would cut down significantly on our RV park costs. Um, so that meant having to get an RV that was equipped for dry camping up to, you know, close to two weeks. So we looked for the right RV with big enough tanks and, you know, getting a solar unit. Um, to help sustain the sort of life that we wanted to live in the RV. Yeah, and I think a big part of that planning was also trying to figure out what risks we were going to be taking. Because, you know, quitting our job, selling everything we own and moving into an RV is a huge risk to take. Um, but we like to say it was a very calculated risk. So we, both of us at first weighed our options of what we were going to do. And we actually talked about trying to convince one of our respective employers to allow us to work on the road. Um, but we realized that we needed to sever those ties to our life to really do what we wanted to do. Um, and in order to take that leap with, you know, a parachute, so to speak, we were able to save enough that we planned initially to do this for a year. And then we also put aside an emergency fund that if everything went to pot, um, what would we do and how would we do it? So we had that emergency fund there. So we say it's calculated because we were able to take those without really, um, you know, risking our lives or risking our financial futures. That's great. And I think that different people will have different ways of kind of skinning that cat, so to speak. Like some people, it does make sense for one, if they want to do what you're doing for one person to keep a job. Uh, maybe even with scaled back hours, like, you know, uh, more of a contract position, 20, 25 hours a week or something. And for others, you know, you just, you figure it out because I can tell you one thing. If you had kept your job, you wouldn't be as motivated to build your own thing, and you certainly wouldn't have as much time to build your own thing. Yeah, and that, that was the major driving force behind both of us saying we weren't going to take a job. Now, part of that calculated risk is we know what is out there in the market so that if we decided one day we needed to have a full-time income, we could go back to that. 
but the driving force for us is really, you know, if we don't make this work, we have to stop and we don't want to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, uh, people laugh when I say I have occasionally I have a nightmare that I have a job, you know, that I'm actually in an employed position again. And oh, yeah. I think it's funny. It's not funny. It's, it's serious. And if I ever had to due to circumstances, I could go get a job again. But, you know, it, the, the concept of somebody saying, no, you can't leave right now, right? You can't just change things up and do things your way right now. Um, you, you start to realize once you separate from it, it's kind of an unnatural state for a human being to be in. It's like self accepted part time slavery. And I, again, that's not, Anybody in their situation, you know, be ready when you make the call to quit your job and go do something else. But there, there is that about it. And you do feel that way once you separate from it. Like, wow, why did I ever do things that way? But then you look back and say, well, you know, it enabled where I'm at today. So there's, it's, to me, I see employment in the modern age as like a stepping stone for people to gain experience and knowledge and put some money away and get some stability. And then you can kind of step from there somewhere else. Some people are born entrepreneurs, as, as entrepreneurial as I am. I wasn't. I needed that stuff. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I almost view corporate America and careers now as the new sort of college that you have to go through and kind of put yourself through that before you can really jump out there on your own um, for those who, like you said, aren't born entrepreneurs. So um, what advice do you give for people that want to do what you're doing? I know you said anybody can do it, but like, how, how, do, how do people kind of take those steps toward doing this themselves? Well, I think, you know, one of the main things I always tell people is if you want to do this is really evaluate your life currently and figure out, you know, what's driving you to want to change it. Um, because the important part I always tell people is make sure you're not running away from something. Um, you know, it's easy to just say, okay, I'm going to do this, um, and my life will be better. Uh, but if there is something specific that's causing you to be unhappy or, you know, not living the little kind of life you want, you have to figure that out that first. Yeah. And a good example is when we first realized that, um, you know, we wanted to get out and do something different. Our plan was to move down to Texas, Arizona, some of the freer states out there and, you know, get a house or get a large piece of property. We, we could have our chickens again and everything else. But when we actually boiled it down, we realized that it wasn't necessarily living in California or having a house. Um, it was we wanted to be free from our jobs and actually live our life the way we wanted to. And by going to, let's say, Texas, buying a house and getting back into the corporate rat race, we were just kind of running away from what we thought was the problem and what mm. actually wasn't the problem. No, that's very true. And I, I see that in people that they're going to make a change. But when you look at their plan, their plan really isn't a change. Um, I can see good reasons to come to Texas. If what's making you miserable is primarily the regulations in your state, the taxes in your state, the cost of living in your state. And if that's the problem, then that geographic move alone is a great step in the right direction. But for you, that was just like... That was like this, the salt being dumped on the wound. Like the wound was actually the control of being in corporate America. So if you, if you move geographically, you might take some salt out, but the wound is still there. I guess that'd be a good way to put it. Exactly. And the icing on the cake for us now is we are Texans and we don't have to deal with California anymore. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys ever kicked around the idea of like 
having a couple little pieces of land, you know, a couple acres or so with some hookups on it where you can just pull in and kind of have like the best of both worlds. Like you have that base that, that's, that's, you know, that's inexpensive to maintain. And that's kind of like your home record. But then whenever you want to go somewhere, you just pick up and go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of this journey is to try and find some places in this country of ours that we really love. And for example, like Flagstaff is one of those places. And we've talked about looking for property there where we could do exactly what you just mentioned. And then in the winter, we could escape somewhere else. And, you know, the RV is like the perfect uh, vehicle for that. Yeah. And there are areas of Texas we've really enjoyed as well. Oh, yeah. Um, the hill country, and yeah, we'd love to have some land. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really ideal for us. And I think, you know, we've talked about being able to put up, like, food forests and stuff like that so that, you know, it can grow on its own and it doesn't necessarily need input from us while we're gone. And when we come back, we can manage it and take care of the land that way. Travel based on harvest and maintenance, that's kind of cool. That, that's one of the things Dorothy and I kicked around for a while is that type of a lifestyle. And I can definitely understand the Flagstaff thing. That's a place that... I don't think it's a lot of people that have never been in the area. It's not high on their list of places that they need to see. And a lot of times people end up seeing Flagstaff because they go further north to the canyon and people want to see the canyon. But Flagstaff and that whole area between it and Sedona, that Black Oak Canyon area, that is like, cause you're in, you're, I, I went there the first time coming up out of Phoenix, you know, and you're in this desert and everything's desert. And you hit that Black Oak Canyon area, and you're like, oh, my God, it's like this little piece of heaven sitting there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it was fantastic. We only planned to spend a night there, and when we were there, we loved it so much, we ended up spending 10 days just to really see the city and look at it. Yeah, and I bet there's been a lot of things like that that you guys have kind of found that, you know, because you're traveling, you know, you find things that you normally would have never seen. Absolutely. I mean, we've come to really love small towns and areas because there are a lot of places in this country where if you're going to go off for vacation, you're not going to fly to like we're in Champaign, Illinois right now. And it's not on everyone's destination, but it's a fantastic little town and we really like it. Um, we hate the politics of the state, but <laughs> it's a great little town. Um, but, you know, going back to our advice for people, I think at the end of the day, it's really that um, you have to act on what you want to do. And anyone can talk about making a change in their life and, you know, talking about it and everything else. But at the end of the day, you have to act on what you're doing. And I think that really goes back to planning and goals so that you set that roadmap for yourself and it, you execute it on, on it at the end of the day. Gotcha. So what prompted you guys to be willing to like share all your expenses and income on your website? Um, as someone that does a lot of things publicly, I know it makes things more complex and, you know, like when something doesn't work for you and you haven't publicized it to the whole world, it's like, oh, it didn't work. I just adjust and go on. But then there's like this kind of, this, this sense of additional obligation to like be successful when you put things out there publicly. So, and, and that's some information people would generally consider pretty private too, like how much you're earning, you know, what your expenses are, where the money's going. That's, that's pretty private stuff. Yeah, I think one of the main things for us is we really wanted to be a resource for other people who want to live this lifestyle. Um, and we've gotten some really great feedback from people who've found our expenses and income reports very helpful um, because it gives them, it makes, helps them realize that it's doable. Um, and 
you know, it's exciting for us to be generating more income every month. And it's also exciting for them as well um, to know that, you know, it's the lifestyle is possible and there are options and ways to make money uh, while you're living this lifestyle. And one of our the things we wanted to do right from the get go was really be open and honest with people, uh, especially if we're going to be reviewing products or talking about campgrounds or other things we're doing. Um, we want people to be able to trust us. And I think part of that was being open with them about how much we're spending, um, how much time we might have left on the road, where we are, what we're doing, and finally, how much we're making. Because a lot of people, uh, our audience, are really helping drive the ad revenue and everything else. So the more people we can get on there, the more money we can make. And I think it makes people feel invested with what we're doing um, and really helps them understand why it is we're doing what we are. You know, I think one of the more valuable things than your your income reporting is your expense reporting because people have lots of different ways they can earn income. And and some people have a significant nest egg put aside. I'm sure you had something pretty significant to be able to sustain this as oh, you're yeah. doing this, right? So yeah. by seeing if we follow this blueprint, this is what we can expect it to cost And plus, these are the things that made their expenses go up this month that didn't have to. Like, I was going through some of your records, and there was, like, we wouldn't do this again, or we would take this approach. So they can actually budget then, if we do this, then this is how far we can get before we have to figure out where the next dollar comes from, and, and kind of make the decision of, like, is the timing right for us, or is there a few things we could do? And, and, you know, what are the trade-offs? So, like, one thing I noticed, one of your biggest expenses is you have a $600 payment on your vehicle. Because smartly, you wanted a brand-new vehicle with a warranty. I'm pretty sure that was a big part of it. Yeah, that's uh, it. Right? So that's great. But then a person can say, well, does it make sense to finance this vehicle or save the money up and buy it outright, whether it's used or new? And a lot of times people say, well, you just should, if you can, you buy it cash. But – When you look at a cash burn analysis and you start to take an entrepreneurial look at this, you, you you may be better off retaining the capital because if you buy smart, you always can flip that vehicle, sell it, what have you. And if you're you know you 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 have a, a long enough duration and thinking about your amortization things like that. So by knowing that expense cost, people can make a smarter decision about whether to buy big down payment, small down payment how much they can really afford. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why we decided to finance rather than buying outright. And when we looked at it, you know, there are all those benefits you mentioned. Uh, there are also tax benefits for us. Like we can write off the, um, you know, the quote unquote mortgage that we're paying every month on this. Um, and there are you know, a few other things. But and the other thing was when we started this, we weren't really sure how long we wanted to be on the road. Uh, you know, we could have been three months in and said, this is terrible. We need to stop doing it. So let's unload the RV as soon as possible. Uh, but the longer we're going, the more we want to do it. Um, you know, and it's really about, you know, I think having a, a backup plan and understanding what it is when you're looking at those expenses, um, being able to think of things that, may not necessarily impact you every day, but they will impact your total overall budget for the end of the year. And we've found that a lot of people find our expenses helpful, even if they aren't planning on RVing. And our thing is, you know, this stuff is a resource for people, regardless of what you're trying to do in life. Very cool. So how long do you plan on doing this? And I'm sure you do have some sort of a backup plan if it doesn't work out. 
Yeah. So as Joe mentioned, our original plan was a year, um, and we got on the road September 2015. But our budget that we set for ourselves um, was right around $4,500 a month, or maybe it was $4,800 a month. Um, but as you can see with our expenses, we're coming in at $2,700 a month. So that's extra money we can tack on, plus the income we're generating. You know, we can go for at least another year from today. Um, and still have a good emergency fund. And hopefully as we're generating more income, that will just allow us to stay on the road that much longer. And we'd like to go indefinitely until we're <laughs> sick of it and you know, want to do something different. Yeah. And in terms of like a backup plan, uh, we did put aside an emergency fund for at least a year that would be able to support us in case everything went down the tube. Uh, but we've also been looking at like different work opportunities. There's work camping. There's a lot of uh, online uh, remote work positions that we could be doing. And it's when we started this initial um, plan for the trip, we started putting those things together uh, because we're the type of people that uh, we don't just jump off the cliff. As I mentioned before, we like to have that parachute and we'd like to know what our options are. And I think the biggest advice I can give to someone who's looking to leave their current life and really make a change is understand what your exit plan is because you're either going to do this for the rest of your life or you're going to try to make a change and trying to think through exit plans as you go because it'll evolve the longer you do this um, and understand you know what potentials there are out there for you can you find another job do you have enough saved uh, are there different opportunities you should be looking for while you're doing this um, so there are a lot of options, and I don't think people really think through that stuff when, um, you know, they're working every day, they're coming home, they're used to getting a paycheck in the mail every day, every week. And I think that was the biggest eye-opener for us when that first Friday came around and we didn't get our paychecks. We're like, wow, this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that is an eye-opener. But the, 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 the next big eye-opener is that following Monday – when you don't go, oh, you're like, oh, I can do whatever I really want to do today. Now, there's some responsibility in life, regardless of whether you're employed or not. But to not think, oh, I got to get in the car and I got to drive to this place I don't want to be and be around people I don't want to be around and be nice to people I don't even want to look at. And, and then that's <laughs> like a big eye opener, too. Like, OK, that's the exchange. And I think that was like I, I actually left my position and sold out my interest in the company I was a partner in uh, going into Christmas. And I, I, for the last 15 years of my life, maybe 20 years of my life, have always just taken the time between Christmas and New Year's Day off. That's always been vacation time for me. When I was a contractor and I didn't get paid, I still took it off. And so that was normal. But then it was always you come into that next year and now you go back to work. And, you know, you get up on January 2nd and go, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere, and I don't have to talk to anybody. And it's weird how it sticks with you. Like, you guys made a clean break. But, you know, since I had ownership stake in the company and all, I had said, if you need advice or suggestions or whatever, call me, and I'll talk to you. And my partner, Neil, had called me. It had been like six months. And he's going on and on about the same crap we always dealt with. And he really didn't want advice. He wanted a contemporary to vent to. You know, sometimes you just need that. Oh, yeah. We and get those calls. I remember getting off the phone with him and saying, semi out loud, fortunately I was alone in the house, so I didn't look crazy, I have to quit. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. 
And it took me like, took like a half a second where I said to myself, yeah, I heard it, right? Because it was like, you haven't had anything to do with that crap for six months. And it was still kind of sticking to you. And I think it takes like a, like, I, that's why I love your year timeline as a minimum. It takes that long to really just get all the ickiness off you and go, okay, now whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do by choice going forward. Yeah. And the thing I don't think a lot of people realize is in order, like when we took on this lifestyle, we actually work more now than we did when we were in corporate America. But the thing is we're working for ourselves and we see a direct correlation. The harder we work, the better we do. And I mean, the other side of that, when you start doing things online that are content driven, you can work really, really hard. And then if you take a couple of weeks off or something like that, that work keeps working. It's recirculating. It's regurgitating. It's doing its thing. You're, you're getting new people engaged because, you know, I, as a podcaster, I feel an obligation to put a show out every day. But to the person that finds my show tomorrow, there's eight years of stuff. Right. If I'm gone for a week, they don't really care. They got all kinds of stuff to catch up on. And that as long as there's a system built into that, you have that it's it's a it's like a dividend in a retirement account. And it really does compound over the years more and more and more. And I mean, God knows what you're actually going to end up with as you do this. I'm sure you're learning more every day. You know, there could be a book in it at some point. There could, and if you do transition to something more like a traditional homestead, that's a whole new chapter, a whole new story, new story for your followers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about doing a book. We're actually starting to write one. And when people say, "Yeah, write a book," it's not nearly as easy as everyone <laughs> makes it out to be. I've I've started four and finished one, so <laughs> I understand it isn't. But I bet you there would be a lot of cool stuff in there because I bet you've learned a lot of things in, I guess, what, eight months now, nine, seven months, whatever it is, like what not to do, how to save money. Can we talk about some of the things you've picked up that, like, maybe you made some mistakes in the beginning and you've adapted now and that's helping to reduce your financial burn? Go ahead. You're yeah, yeah I, there's so many <laughs> things that have, you know, helped us um, reduce our expenses and you know they all sort of add up so one of the things that we forgot about that we learned early on was you know looking up tax rates in states that we're going to be in uh, we made the mistake of doing a bulk Costco trip uh, purchase in Tennessee where the food tax is six percent when the next date over it's zero so we spent an extra six percent on food that we didn't need to so You know, all those little tricks um, help us keep our expenses down, and we have a great app that shows us what the gas costs are. And, you know, when we're driving a giant vehicle that gets six and a half miles per gallon, <laughs> 10 cents makes a huge difference when we're filling up 70 gallons. Um, yeah, and you start to realize, um, you know, there are apps out there for just about anything. And we started looking up, uh, like, you know, as Kate mentioned, gas prices. Uh, we start looking up camping options, just about everything we could. And when you start doing that, you start finding coupons for things. It really starts making a big impact on how much you're spending every month. And I wish we had gone through a lot of this stuff when we were living in our sticks and bricks home to the degree that we are today. Uh, and I think one of the big mistakes we made early on was, you know, we in our minds, we had this corporate America mindset that we were on vacation and we had a year to get everything done. And so we just hit the road and we were going like gangbusters. I mean, there were days when we were doing four or five hundred mile trips mm. and our gas expense was through the roof. 
We're spending a lot of money on food, going out to eat. Like we wanted to try all the places in the different town, the breweries, everything else. And we realized we can slow down mm-hmm. and we, we don't have to do everything in a day or two days. We can relax and take a couple of weeks and really kind of get the flavor of places. Um, so that was, I think, one of the biggest learning things we had. Yeah. And, you know, I think finding dry camping spots that come BLM land or forest services has really helped us too, mm-hmm. to keep the cost down. And we like being out in the middle of the forest dry camping. Some people don't like that. Um, they like to be hooked up. But it's nice to be out in nature and you have the elks bugling in October right outside the Grand Canyon and they're walking through your you know campground. It's it's really neat and it's free. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that was a huge cost saver because I know my limited time with an RV and I would pay for uh, you know a, a, a space in a park and I'm like for not much more money I could have got a freaking hotel. Now it wouldn't have been the Ramada. But, you know, like just a, a crash pad type hotel, like a Motel 6 level hotel, maybe twice. So you're only saving half. And then, oh, I got to tow this giant vehicle like you know, with my, my F-350 sucking gas or diesel down. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and then there's there's like people don't get it. Like it's not the same when you're traveling either with you guys have a like a class A or if you're towing a, a trailer as just getting in a vehicle and just traveling down the road it's more stressful you have to think more about routes you take you know it's always great when you come in i'm sure you've had this you're in the construction zone they take the shoulders away and you got a rig on both sides of you and you're you're you know in my case pulling your your case sitting in this huge motor coach and it's like you know if i was in my car i'd just punch it be up away from these people get you know whatever and so all of that goes along with it so if you're gonna do it you have to figure out how to maximize things like that because if you're pulling into a pad every night that's a lot of money over a month. It is. And for the most part, uh, I like last month, we were at a campground for six nights out of the whole month. So 24 of those nights we spent dry camping. Can you talk yeah, about what it takes to do that? Like, and like how long you can go before you really need to go somewhere because you got to dump your, your, your black water, things like that? Sure. It's actually kind of an interesting process because you become, whether, you, whether or not you want to be, you become a prepper. Because <laughs> um, you start you start stockpiling water, food, um, all sorts of things, and you're you're trying to get down to really the nitty gritty of how long you can live on everything. And we've realized that our shortcoming is our black tank, which is 40 gallons. And for those who don't know, a black tank is your sewer tank. It's you know just a toilet. Um, but we're kind of limited by about 12 days if we're not really being cautious. The more cautious we are, the longer we can go. Uh, our 70 gallon water tank will last us two to three weeks, depending on how we use it. Um, and it's, you know, part of that, like living out off the grid is it's trying to find ways to maximize all of those things. So, um, you know, buying the gallon sized things of water that you can drink rather than drinking out of your tank, um, having food put away, uh, when you go, out using the bathroom at Walmarts or wherever you're going shopping rather than waiting until you come home to use the bathroom all make a huge impact on how long you can go. Um, and I got into some interesting conversations actually on the survival uh, forums, survival podcast forums, where you know we were all kind of giving ideas to each other about how long you can go and what would happen if you needed to get out of an area. How much gas do you have? How long is your generator going to last? Then how long you can you get with your Jeep? So it's really a fun exercise. 
And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, just put solar in. And you, I know you guys have done some work with that, but okay, solar runs lights really well, you know. But if it's a hundred degrees out and you're trying to cool a, a motor coach, it doesn't do that. So you have no. to kind of balance all of those things. And like, that's a big, that's a big plus though, because like the other side of that is, well, if it's a hundred degrees somewhere, let's not go there for this month. Let's go somewhere where it's like seventy-five degrees this month. Absolutely, and we have friends that are still working full-time, but they're kind of living this lifestyle. And they have the resources where one friend just went and put another $10,000 into their their solar and battery bank. Yeah. So they're running lithium-ion batteries, and they've got a whole bank of solar because they don't want to worry about it. And they want to be able to um, you know, run the AC or do other things in the RV and never have to worry about going into town. Yeah, but we are of the mindset where we always travel where the weather is nice. So, like you said, if I would. Why we're not going you? that way. Yeah. Birds do it. Right? <laughs> Birds do it with feathers. You have a, a mobile home. I mean, it would just make sense. Yep. But somehow this year we got stuck in Florida at the worst time or the worst winter they've had in I don't know how long. <laughs> yeah. That was a mistake. But. <laughs> but it's weird, though, because they had a pretty pretty cold winter for Florida this year. And, like, right here in central Texas, we were like, winter? Because it was like it was just there wasn't one this year. We just didn't get a winter. We had like I think we had like maybe ten days where it actually was below freezing, and it yeah. wasn't much. It was like you know it was like the low was like twenty eight or something like that. And the two years before it, the place looked like the tundra. People like it's Texas, it's warm all the time. It's like there's four inches of freaking ice on my property right now, but just like a, a skating rink, four solid inches of ice twice. You know wow. happened the year before, and a couple other small ice storms. And then this year was just like, well, I guess the citrus is going to make it just fine. Um, it's, so you guys could have pulled up stakes somewhere else, I guess. But that's that's yeah. We oh. we had a lot of family in that down in Florida. But one of the things that RVing has really made us very aware of is the weather. And we probably checked the weather multiple times a day, um, especially when we were down in Florida. I mean, we got to one place and a tornado touched down about thirty miles from us. Yeah. Yeah, the weather was absolutely horrible. And you you realize, I'm in an RV right now. If a tornado came through here, we're gone. Uh, so that's when, you know, we start putting together kind of, um, you know, bug out plans. We had bags ready to go. We we're, you know, got the Jeep all prepped and, uh, you know, or a building we could go to. So, you know, it's fun to go out and camp in an RV. But when you're living in it full time, you really have to start thinking about, you know, what if this happens? What do we do? And what's our plan? Yeah, definitely. Because like you said, it's, it's not going to hold up in a, in a tornado. But that was one of the things I said during the intro segment before I got you guys on. Like, if I ever did this, I'm telling you, March, April, May, June, I'm just not here in North Central Texas. I just, <laughs> I, I prefer snowboarding. I mean, I'm just not going to be here in, tor you know, tornado season. Um, we've been lucky this year, but I, said that we're going to see a big pickup in tornadic activity and we've just been lucky in this area there's been you know several major breakouts just in the last two weeks and that is in certain parts of the country always going to be a major concern because i say those months but you know we also had i don't know if you guys heard about this we had a major tornado um on december 26th the day after christmas oh yeah uh, they yep. killed like 14 people destroyed homes and you're just you, and that was maybe 40 miles east of us. And you're just thinking these poor people every Christmas for the rest of their life is going to be tied back to this thing. So it's, it's one of those things that you have to think about all the time. But if you're in 
a mobile home or an RV or something like that, it's it's far more of a concern. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were at a place out in, uh, where was it in Texas, the RV park that had flooded. Oh, San Marcos. Yeah, we were in San Marcos, Texas. And uh, weeks before we got there, a huge flood had come through the town. And we get to this RV park, we start walking around, and it looked like some apocalyptic movie. I mean, there were RVs that had been lifted up, and they were stuck, you know, 20, 30 feet up in the air in trees. Um, you know, people hadn't, when they were out, like, you know, out for the day, they hadn't checked the weather, they didn't realize what was coming for them. And they left their RVs and all their possessions behind, and then a huge, um, you know, the river floods and takes everything away. So, it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, what are some other thoughts you have as far as ways people can make, if they decide to do this, the entire thing more enjoyable and less expensive? Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> more Jeez. enjoyable. I think, you know, depending on if you're traveling with a spouse or by yourself, you know, make, really having good communication skills. And we learned that early on during yep. our adjustment period is really making sure we're on the same page and how we want to travel and what we're looking to do as we're living this lifestyle. Um, because if you're butting heads with, you know, the person in the passenger seat every day, then it's really not going to be very much fun. Um, but also, you know, one of my, so I have two, sort of things that have, I think, really helped us cut our keep our costs down. And one of them is the All Stays Camp and RV app. And it's this great app that shows you, you know, all the places you can boondock, um, all the places where you can go dump, any RV services, gas stations. And the really neat thing I like about this app is it tells you what the high clearance is in certain parts of town. So, for example, we're in Champaign, Illinois, and all the overpasses here are about 11 feet. Um, we're 12 feet, eight inches. So we know <laughs> we can't go that we, we shouldn't go down these roads. Um, so that app is really great. But another, um, membership that we belong to is Harvest Host. Oh, this is very cool. Yeah. So Harvest Host is a network of breweries, farms, um, wineries, wineries all across the country and in Canada. And they, you know, they're small businesses and what they allow is for RVers to come and park for free. And in exchange, they ask you to visit their business and purchase something. So if you're parked in a winery that you'll take part in the tasting. And if you enjoy their wine that you buy a bottle. Mm. Um, but we were at a uh, farm in Florida and we got to stay there and they source all locally um, grown food, you know, sustainably grown. And they, let us stay there for free. It was beautiful. And, you know, we purchased some produce. So instead of going to the market, we went there. Yeah. And the best part about staying on a brewery or winery with your RV is after you're done with the tasting and you've had a bottle, you just stroll right on back to your house. <laughs> it's it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather spend, even if it was the same money, I get a bottle of wine, you know, and, and I have a place and I have a place to keep my RV. I'd rather do that than you know, uh, pay for the RV spot and get nothing but the spot. Exactly. exactly. And the other thing I would say to people who are looking to get into RVing specifically is do your research and really spend time, understand what it is you're planning on buying. Because we've met a lot of people who have either been misled by the salesperson or really had no idea how they planned to camp or live this lifestyle. They go out, they buy something, they regret it. And I think when you're making a purchase of this size and really trying to transition your life, um, do your research and make sure you understand what it is you're going to do before you do it. 
Yeah, definitely. So you guys are, are chronicling all this. Where can people learn more about what you're doing and kind of check in on your trip day to day? Uh, so we have our main is our website and our YouTube channel. So our website is We're the Russos. And the YouTube channel is just YouTube We're the Russos dot com. Um, or sorry, it's our username is We're the Russos on YouTube. And then we're on the various social media networks like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Very cool. I'll have links to your YouTube channel and your website in today's show. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be with us today at the Survival Podcast. Thank you, Jack, and thank you for everyone listening. Yeah, thank you for having us. Wow, what a really great interview. Uh, I love having folks on like that that can tell you what they're really doing, the uh, everything that's working and things that are challenging as well. So you get a real-world view of RVing life. Remember to check out their website, wearetherussos.com. There will be a link in today's show notes. With the interview wrapped up, I want to remind you how you can support this show. Consider becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more there. You'll see uh, over 60 companies that you'll get discounts from just for being a member. Those discounts will more than pay for your membership. If you're buying things in the lifestyle that we talk about here all the time, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. Well, there's everything there, and there's even just some really cool stuff as well, and over $200 worth of free ebooks. And again, you'll be help supporting the show at about 18.3 cents per episode. So do consider becoming a member. If you want to support this show and you don't want to be a member, or you are a member and you still want to do more, I have the easiest way in the world for you to do that. Just go to TSPAZ, yes, T S P A Z. Uh, T, T, TSPAZ or TSPAZ, uh, stands for the Survival Podcast Amazon. And, uh, that's one letter less than Amazon.com. So you'll actually type one less letter, end up at the same place, do all your Amazon shopping through our link. If you do that for us, you really help support us a great deal. And it doesn't cost you anything. It actually, again, takes one letter less effort to help support our show. So please consider doing that. Most of you probably shop on Amazon from time to time. Next up, I want to make an announcement on the air. I have a TSP meetup that's going to happen Friday. I know this is Wednesday, but Friday uh, this week from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. at my place. There's some folks going to the Self-Reliance Expo that wanted to do something. So I've set that up. It's going to be people hanging out in my backyard, eating some uh, sausage bratwurst, drinking some beer. You're welcome to come. There is a post on the TSP blog that went up yesterday. I will put a link to it in today's show notes so you can learn more. But if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or you're coming to the Self-Reliance Expo, uh, it's going to be in Irving on Friday. After hours, come on over to uh, Nine Mile Farm. And hang out with us. I think you'll enjoy it. At least I've heard from a few people already that are going to be here. Uh, with that post, please email me and tell me you're coming so I have some idea on headcount. Uh, those of you who have already emailed me, you will be getting uh, an email with directions to the farm uh, back to it very soon. I'm trying to wait for it to kind of build up and do it all in one shot. And with that, our ending song of the day today is a song I've always loved. Um, it's been covered uh, by quite a number of people, but this is the original. It's by a guy named David Mason. It's called We Just Disagree. And it, you know, it kind of does really refer to like a romantic relationship that went south and now we're seeing each other and can be decent with each other. But I've always seen the song as a much larger song that this would be a much better way to handle things among individuals, among countries, among communities, you name it. That if we could all just get along by just understanding that sometimes we're going to disagree, and if we could just have enough respect for each other, that as long as whatever you're doing doesn't actually directly affect me, as long as you're not impeding my liberty, 
and I'm not impeding your liberty, it's okay for us to live differently. It's okay for us to believe differently. We should be able to let well enough alone and leave each other alone. I think the Internet has been a two-edged sword with this. I think more and more people today are willing to do that because they've realized by making the, the globe truly borderless when it comes to cultural exchange, that all those evil people over there that they always told you about aren't quite so evil. They just seem like normal people, most of them. And then you can see really the worst of humanity as well, and that probably cuts the other direction. But what I actually think the Internet's done to cut the other direction is it's, it, it's, it's set up this... This competitive dynamic where people think they actually think that by arguing with somebody on the internet, they're actually getting somewhere. Because you're really not. You know, arguing with somebody in Facebook comments isn't going to convince anybody of anything. And that's all good and well. I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes it's just fun. But it amazes me that there are people that then start stalking other people and like just go out of their way to be a thorn in the ass of another person. It's just sad. It really is. And if we could take all of these dynamics and move to something more like this song, we just disagree. And there's no good guy, there's no bad guy. We just want to do things differently. That would actually be the crux of a voluntary society. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Haven't seen you in a while How've you been? Have you changed your style And do you think That we've grown up differently Don't seem the same Seems you've lost your feel for me So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me And we just disagree You got a face